You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. It's good to see you all. We are continuing through the Shorter Catechism, our Westminster Shorter Catechism. And Ron, I'll let you be the Vanna White of the hour and you can pass them around. Uh, If you would like a Shorter Catechism, Ron has a copy for you. Um, We can uh, read it together and you can have something to to look at. Um, If you like to underline or circle or highlight, you can do that here as well. Take your copy home, um, use it, study it, memorize it even. Uh, this is a wonderful <clears throat> tool for memorization uh, or resource to memorize and to have uh, on the tip of your tongue because there's so much wealth of information here that's so biblical. Hopefully you've seen that as we've been working through it. It's so biblical. And even the phraseology it uses, it uses often comes straight from Scripture. And so today we're continuing through and we come to question number 31. And we've been in this uh, series really looking at redemption. What does it mean to be redeemed? What did Christ do first to redeem us? So this historia salutis, the history of salvation. What did Christ do? What must he do? And what did he do to redeem a people? And then the question is, how is that what Christ did? How does that apply to us? What happens to make us redeemed. So redemption is out there. How does it come to us? And so we're now in this ordo salutis, and we'll look at that a little bit more later. The order of salvation for individuals. How does that historia get applied to an individual? And it's through union with Christ and the ordo salutis. So we talked about union with Christ a little bit last week. The Spirit working faith in us and uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. So we are united to Christ in this effectual calling. And so the question today is, well, what is effectual calling? And so let's uh, zoom in on this aspect of the Ordo Salutis. And I hope we'll have a minute at the end to look, zoom out a little bit and look at the, the big picture at Ordo. Um, but let's just turn our attention now to question 31 of the Shorter Catechism. What is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery enlightening our minds and the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills. He doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. So this is effectual calling. This is effectual calling Christ's spirit working to shorthand, give us a new heart to draw us to Christ that we would embrace Christ as he's offered in the gospel. Uh, one, one scripture here to set this in that ordo context, uh, the ordo salutis, is uh, Romans 8.30. You've probably you've heard this passage before. It says, and those whom he, God, predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So this is a thumbnail sketch of the ordo salutis, that order of salvation for each individual that begins in eternity past with predestination, election, God electing a people. And then in space and time, he calls them. And that's what we're speaking of here. Effectual calling. They're called effectually by God, by his spirit, particularly. And then if you're called, you're justified. And if you're justified, you are glorified. 
in heaven with Christ for all eternity. And so we'll, we'll talk about each of these pieces. But this is, um, as I said, the golden chain of salvation. This golden chain, this unbreakable chain. If you're predestined, all of these other pieces happen as well. Those who are elected are also called. And there's no, there's no uh, group who are elect who are not called. And if you're called, you're justified. There's no breaking that chain between these various links and pieces. And so we're looking at this calling piece. So after that election, which we've spoken of many times, a little bit last week, that election piece, now we're moving to this calling, uh, or as our catechism says, uh, effectual calling. And we'll start by saying why we use the word effectual calling, because scripture speaks of calling in two different ways. Two different ways. We can think of Matthew 22, uh, verse 14. Jesus says, for many are called, but few are chosen. So what we can say, oh, are we flipping the ordo salutis, salutis so everybody's called and then some are chosen after that? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. We're speaking of calling in different ways. So Christ there is speaking of, for many are called. This is an outward call of the gospel, an outward external calling of Come to Christ. So many are called. And we want the whole world to be called externally. That's our job as the church to call sinners to Christ. So that's the one kind of calling, this external calling. But effectual calling speaks of an internal, we could say, calling. A spiritual calling where we are made new internally by the Spirit. So the outward call works through the proclamation of the word, the law and the gospel, and then internal calling, which is what we're speaking of, ex, of the uh, effectual call, that's internal of the Spirit working on us individually and effectually calling us, uh, accomplishing something in that call. So there's those two kinds of call um, to get right off the bat. And so when we go to Romans 8, those whom he predestined, he also called, that's effectual calling. And when Jesus says, many are called, few are chosen, that's speaking of an external, uh, the external call. So, sorry. Did I say that wrong? Paul, okay, Paul speaking of the inward call and the effectual call and Jesus there in that place is speaking of the internal or the external call. I need to stop and y'all know what I'm saying. Move on before I stumble over my words too many times. Um, any, anything there, and this will help you as you read scripture because this word calling is there throughout scripture and we just have to understand, are we speaking of the general call that goes to all people or are we speaking of this effectual call that is part of that golden chain of salvation for God's people? Anything there? Yeah. Um, you may touch on this, but John three sixteen for God so loved the world. That's right. Yeah, we, we could talk about that um, um, in, in a couple different ways, but I'll go to the next part of the verse. Whosoever believes in him, right? That's part of that external call that anyone comes to call. Like we, we call everybody to come to Christ. So that's part of that call. Whosoever, anyone, Jesus says, anyone who is weary and heavy laden and comes to me, I will give you rest. So, yes, that's part of that, that general call to all people. Yeah, that's right. John? I can think of a few things. But John 3.16 is, uh, for God so loved the world that whoever calls him, like, the type of God, love that God has toward the world is this love. That mm-hmm. Right, that's right. Um, and I also think of, I, like the, I really love looking at the Old Testament and finding parallels of this. I think, I think it is clear that even Cain was called, he doesn't see crouching at the door, mm-hmm. but you Right. That's right. So there's a call going out, and some people are affectionately called, and others are not. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. 
Laura, read. Okay. All right, so let's, uh, let's work through some of the text here of, our, uh, of this question. Since we have this overarching idea out of the way, the two, the two ideas, uh, the two kinds of calling. And our answer begins, as it began last week, effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit. And that's uh, reiterating, really, question 30 from last week. The Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ. So the Spirit is working to apply Christ's work to us. And he's doing that here by effectually calling us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it reinforces the reality that all of salvation from beginning to end is God's work. We don't take credit for any of it. This is not something we've done. We're not smarter than our neighbors because we've chosen Christ. This is God's work in us. And the Holy Spirit is doing this life-giving work. Anyone who calls upon Christ is doing so because the Spirit has done a work in him. So this is God's work, and this is God's work is a change of state. The Holy Spirit is changing our state. Now, this isn't explicitly stated here in the Shorter Catechism, but it is clearly stated in the Confession and in the larger Catechism. Um, Let me read uh, the the Confession of Faith, chapter 10, section 1, just a a part of a sentence here that describes what what I mean by a change of state. Um, God is pleased effectually to call by his word and spirit. So there we have both external and internal, right? He's calling us externally by the word, internally by the spirit. Um, Out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. So this calling is out of the state of sin and misery and death, condemnation, blindness, inability, out of that state into a new state. What was the language here? Of grace and salvation. So it's calling us out of death into life. It's giving life to dead, dead people is what's happening here. This is calling from death into life, effectually accomplishing this transition, this change of state. This is, um, you're familiar with Ephesians 2. And it says this, and you were dead in the, tra- in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So you were dead, the state of dead. But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So speaking of the same thing, we were dead, now we're alive. This change of state by the working of the Holy Spirit. And of course, Paul, said, Paul concludes that, that's, that uh, verse, by grace you have been saved. This is pointing us to God's grace over and over and over. This is something God does he sets his love upon us, not, as our, larger, or as our uh, confession says, not because he sees something good that we would do in the future, not because we're especially lovely or worth loving, or we're going to be the, the, he's drafting the best players for his team. He sets his love on us for reasons we don't know or comprehend. It's not because we're good. It's not because there's anything in us that would warrant this kind of love and grace. But all of this, again, comes back to the grace of God for us. This is salvation that he works. That word we talked about last week, monergistic salvation. Mono, one, ergos, work. One work. One person is working. It is God. It is not us who works our own salvation. So this is the death to life, darkness to light, hard heart to heart of flesh, as the larger larger catechism says. Now, the shorter catechism talks about a couple different aspects of what this change looks like. So we have this change of state, and our shorter catechism says this. So... We're convinced, first, convinced of our sin 
and misery. So we have this first aspect of the mind being changed. So there's an intellectual component of effectual calling. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and, and put this piece out here before, before I wanted to get to it. Effectual calling is ultimately very, very closely tied, if not a synonym, for the term that you may be familiar with, regeneration. So when you hear regeneration, it's basically one and the same with effectual calling. This effectual calling is giving us that new heart, giving us the new mind, the new will, as we're talking, we'll be talking about in a moment. This regeneration, this giving us life, is the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit. And so he regenerates our mind by convincing us of our sin and our misery. So we're convinced of sin, right? We're convinced of judgment. We're convinced that we have no hope apart from Christ. Without sin, there's no gospel. Without judgment, there's no salvation. So we have to understand, even mentally, that there we are under the curse, And so we're convinced of this. We're convinced we see our own selves, not just something abstract out there, that there's sin out there, but no, I am a sinner. And then we're enlightened, our minds are enlightened in the knowledge of Christ. So this is seeing, okay, I'm a sinner, but look what Christ has done. This is enlightening our minds to the Historia Salutis to show us what Christ has done. That I'm a sinner, Christ dies for sinners, and Christ calls me to come to him. The gospel is here, clearly proclaimed. So we have both the law doing its work to show us our sin, and we have also the gospel at work to, to, to show us what Christ has done in our place. And so effectual calling is one, this first aspect, is understanding I'm a sinner, I need Christ. I'm a sinner, I need Jesus. And anytime anybody says that, it's because they have been worked on by the Spirit. And I shouldn't say anytime anybody says it, but anytime somebody says it in faith, anybody who believes it truly in faith. But it's a, a, the first, there's an intellectual component. We have to understand these things. If we don't understand our sin, we don't understand our Savior. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.12 says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand things freely given us by God. So we need the spirit to understand what God gives to us. And this isn't just for regeneration and effectual calling. This is our whole life. Paul prays that we would have the more of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We would know more by the spirit of the things of God. So he is continuing to be at work. But we're speaking here of this effectual call where there's that change in us. Um, let's go to the will because our, um, our confession, our shorter catechism goes on. So it's not just mentally, there's a change convincing, convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds and the knowledge of Christ, but also it says renewing our wills, renewing our wills, giving us new wills or I'll, I'll quote from the confession of faith again, renewing our wills and by his almighty power, determining them, our wills to that, which is good. So he takes our wills, our wills that in, uh, in sin, our wills that are bound by sin, our wills that can do nothing other than sin, that desire, they're, they're, they're curved inwardly and they will not look to Christ. They will not look to God. Our wills are bound by our sin and he sets them free from sin. And so now our wills can do that, which is good. They're being renewed. Our wills now can submit themselves to Christ 
in a way they could never do before. Um, that, that phrase from the larger catechism. Oh, here, let me. Uh, now I'm ahead of myself. There we go. Okay, there. My, so the change of state, mind and will. Uh, sorry, the, the confession of faith. Um, augments this phrase, as I read a minute ago, renewing their wills and by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good. Um, and this, this is a, a strange use of the word determine. Uh, I shouldn't say strange. It's an archaic use of that word. And here it means to direct to some end or conclusion. So he's directing our wills to that which is good. He's, he's directing them to now a new end instead of an end that is inward, which leads to death. He's now redirecting our wills outside of ourselves to God. Now to be able to make good, ultimately truly good decisions because now we are, um, now they are given life to do so. For good reasons, we can do good things with a renewed will. Um, and then I'll just briefly mention, and, and um, our catechisms and confession don't, don't highlight this, but I think it's important to note as well, are we're renewed in our affections as well, right? We have a love for Christ, love for God that doesn't exist apart from regeneration and effectual calling. So um, Romans 8.28, right? All things work together for good for those who love God. Those who love God, we are people who love God and we have no love for him before we're effectually called. And so we're renewed, not just mentally and in our wills, but also in our affections, our new desires. Now, we're not renewed to perfection. We're not perfect in all of these ways, but we see uh, that first change where we now look to Christ in faith um, as we'll, we'll get to in just a moment. Um, yeah, John. Yeah, I mean, so he's emphasizing, um, you know, he wants to rewrite question one of the, cat, of the shorter catechism. What is man's chief end? We say man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So glorifying and enjoying, uh, and we'd say they go hand in hand. Piper would want to reemphasize something in there and say man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So we enjoy and therefore we glorify. And I don't want to deny that connection at all. I think that's appropriate to speak of us enjoying God rightly um, is glorifying to him. But I want to I capture the glory in, in a bigger sense as well. Um, he's glorified in, in and ultimately, if, if we are oriented correctly, we will enjoy everything that glorifies God. But I want to say we don't do that yet. Our, we're not fully sanctified and we don't fully realize that uh, reality. And so, yes, we want to seek God's glory, even if I don't feel like I'm enjoying it. Um, and so I want to, it, it seems to be a hyper subjective view of God's glory. And I want to keep an, an objective leg on that stool as well. So I don't disagree with him, but I wouldn't share the same emphasis maybe that he would. Is that, is that answering your question? Would you, yes. would you, do you have other comments there? That sounds, when, when he fleshes it out, he, he does seem to flesh out the objective leg, but he right. doesn't actually Right. Up temporal, That's right. Uh, temporal things for the greater glory of God. 
That's right. Yeah. And, and I don't... Right. And I don't think he's wrong in what he says there. I think it's just a slightly wrong emphasis, I would, I would say. So the change of state. This is regeneration, the effectual call. Um, mind, will, affections. What else here? Comments? Questions? That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, so Peter says, you're the Christ, uh, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. Um, and it's only God's spirit who can reveal to us these things. Give us a new heart so that we can truly call upon Christ by faith. We can only say, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the spirit, Paul writes. So we say Jesus is Lord truly as an act of faith, um, only when the Spirit enables us to do so. so that's a, this is exactly so even right. Jesus has to, has to demonstrate who he is, and yet the Spirit still has to do the work of the Spirit. That's right, exactly. And that's where we come to that uh, general external call versus the internal call. And I don't want to say versus to set them opposed to each other, but the general call is that statement of who Jesus is, what he's done. And we proclaim that. Uh, from the mountaintops, what Christ has done. Um, and we know through that the Spirit is working to call people internally, but he doesn't necessarily, and from practice we know he doesn't do that in every person who's externally called. Um, the internal call is working through that external call, but not all who receive the external are internally called. Rob? Yeah, that's right. That's getting at these same pieces. That probably uh, would lean a little more on the sanctification side of things, but uh, they're, they're intimately tied together because sanctification is an outworking of our regeneration throughout our life. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, think, I think we can apply it here. Bring it on. That's right. Yeah. Right, so the, the parable of the sower, where the sower goes and scatters seed. So this scattering seed is that external calling. This is a proclamation of the gospel, of who Christ is, and he's scattering that uh, everywhere. So that's a picture of the preacher, scattering the, so, the, the seed. And Jesus says, okay, that seed's going to fall in different places, on the thorny ground, on the rocky ground, and all these places where it's not going to take root. It will not, in every situation, bear fruit. It will fall on the good soil, and that good soil represents this, the inward calling. He doesn't use it in that way. But what's going on there is when it falls on the good soil, that's the spirit working to give life to the seed, and it germinates, and it, gives, it bears fruit. So we have a picture there of external and internal. External is everyone. The internal call, this regeneration, happens upon the good soil because the spirit is the one who tends to it and gives life there. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think uh, I probably have heard people multiple times confuse the seed with the people hearing the call. Right, right. The soil right. is explained as circumstance. Right. And uh, I think your paradigm makes much more sense. That's right. Uh, because it's correct. <laughs> it's right. What can I say? 
Thank you for saying it, Rob. Thank you. No, I mean, my mind is blown. I wish I had heard that. Don't say how many years ago. Yeah, Colin. Yeah. And it seemed like Forrester um, makes synonymous effectual calling with God's love. So what is God's love? It is effectual calling. It's almost one and the same. And it seems like we're talking about almost two different levels or types of God's love. One is the external calling. God loves every, he wants everyone to hear. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the truest sense of God's love, which is the right. to the elect. Right, right. So I would say... Um, the, the redemptive ultimate love is that those whom he sets his love on from eternity past to call to himself. So the, the, the deepest, as you said, I think truest love is for the, his people, the elect. He sets his love on us. But I don't think it's wrong to say in a general sense, there's a love that God has for all people. In the same way we talk about a common grace that God shows all sinners, he doesn't immediately wipe us out. Um, he doesn't even, you know, he allows us to benefit from the fruits of others' labor, their um, intellect, their creativity. Um, he allows us in a, in a provisional temporal way to enjoy life. And that's God's love upon all of us, a common grace upon everyone, believer and unbeliever alike. Um, but we do need to speak of that redemptive love in a separate category, I think. And so I think that's maybe where Forrester, is it? yeah, where, where he's getting at. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Since we're on the topic, um, so why, why would God create dead people in their trespasses? Does he love them through them experiencing his creation? How would we talk about that? Yeah, so... Um, God created humankind good. And God permitted, by in the divine counsel of his own will, sin to enter in the world. He didn't create sin, but he allowed it to enter in his world. But we have to say formally, he created that which is good. He created a good, unfallen humanity. And it's Adam who has destroyed that for us, Satan as well, but Adam is the representative of, on our behalf who did that. And so I'm not, I'm not going to agree with your premise that God creates fallen people. God creates people who, by virtue of being united to our, our first father, Adam, are fallen and dead. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, he could have wiped them out then and there. He said, the day you eat it, you shall surely die. And, and I think we simplify that when we say that's only talking about spiritual death. No, he, he says, no, you will die. And from that day on, the fact he didn't kill them is actually um, a testament to his common grace. And so the fact that he allows any sinner to, to live a single breath is a common grace upon them for a couple of reasons. One, you said one, to enjoy this life generally. Yes, God sends rain upon the just and the unjust and allows us to all enjoy um, uh, provisionally uh, things of God's created world and life. So there's that. But even more, if it was not for common grace, there would be no stage upon which redemption can play out. If there's no common grace to all people, if, if God killed Adam and Eve right there and sent them to hell for eternity, then it'd be over. There'd be no redeemer. There'd be no seed of the woman who would then redeem God's people. And so because God had a people, he's allowing a sin to persist for a time. God is patient, Peter says, that all might come to him. He's waiting, calling all to himself and waiting for the full measure of the elect to come in.
And so he's waiting and, and, um, and waiting for all of his people. And we don't know if that's another five minutes, another five years, 500, 5,000. We don't know. Um, that may not be satisfactory. John, we'll go here and then we'll, we're going to move on. So we all know family members, close friends that are not walking with God. And we, how, how do we best, how do we best deal with sometimes the long-term reality of these people hearing clearly that they're not making God, especially again and again and again, yeah. and not walking with God. Right. 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 And I think we all have those kinds of situations. I don't want to, I'm not going to treat that fully. I will say thing, um, one is prayer, right? That, that's the biggest thing we do. We pray for our unbelieving friends and family because we know ultimately it's not me saying the perfect magic words that's going to convince them. Now the Lord might use us, but it's not because our words are perfect or magical or anything. It's because God's spirit uses the word to convert sinners. So we pray. That's, that's the thing we do for unbelievers. We pray. And when they're in a family, it causes all kinds of other tensions and difficulties um, that maybe we can talk about another time. But, um, but that's a, a very good, uh, we all wrestle with that. We all, we all feel that. And we take them to the Lord because it is the work of God's spirit, not my work, ultimately, who can save. Um, let me, <clears throat> a few comments here before I want to uh, take a step back into the Ordo as a whole. So we talked about this, this uh, regeneration changing us, uh, mind, will, affections. And then the confession or the catechism goes on. He doth persuade and enable us. So there's now um, through renewing us, through regeneration, through this effectual calling, he's persuading us and enabling us to trust Christ. Now, this is not a destroying of our own will. This is not um, causing our wills to do things it doesn't want to do. It's not coercive. It's not dragging us, kicking and screaming, but it's sweetly overcoming ourselves that are dead to sin. Robert Shaw writes this, the will's obstinacy is overcome. It's uh, perverseness taken away and the whole soul powerfully yet sweetly attracted to the Savior. So we're attracted to Christ. We see him as beautiful now. Before he was nothing of any importance. But now by regeneration, we are persuaded that Christ is wonderful. And we're enabled now to trust in him. Before our wills were not able. They had liberty to do so, but they were not able. They were bound by sin, but now they're set free from sin. Being changed now to the state of grace, being able to look to Christ. Um. And I love, I love this um, picture from Charles Wesley's hymn, And Can It Be? Um, because in sin, we're unable. A spirit breaks our chain of sin. And, and Charles Wesley writes this, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. I love that picture of being dead in a dungeon and that, that ray of light coming, uh, taking away our shackles, letting us see again, and we can rise and go forth and follow Christ. That's what is being pictured here. And then this free offer of the gospel. We can embrace 
Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. And this goes back to that external call, this free offer of the gospel. We don't condition the call of the gospel upon, now, are you convinced of your sin yet? Okay, no, well, I'm not giving you the gospel. Are you, oh, you are, so I'm gonna give you the gospel. We don't do that. We call all to Christ. We call anyone to come to Christ. A free offer to everyone. And this is uh, many places. I love this, this in Revelation 22. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Of course, there's so many allusions to all parts of scripture in that phrase. But come, take and drink without price. This is the free offer of the gospel. Salvation is yours if you come. Um, I do want to um, take a look briefly here at this ordo salutism and take, make a few notes that I, I hope will clarify some of the things we've said. And the first is this, the ordo salutis, this order of salvation is a logical order. It's not necessarily an, an existential temporal order. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll show you what I mean in a moment. Um, because so many of these things are happening instantaneously. Um, even uh, what I just said about we don't um, make sure people are convinced of the law before, convicted by the law, convinced of their sin before we offer the gospel. Um, that's what I'm speaking of. We're not, we don't have this temporal like checkbox we're going through here because these things often happen instantaneously. We preach Christ and we preach Christ, people understand their sin. And so we're not uh, looking at this, this clear order, but logically there is an order. Logically, we see there's a connection here. And the order is important because if we mix things up, we, we, we undermine the, the very gracious nature of salvation. So let, let me walk through this with these things we've talked about so far. And the ordo begins with election. So eternity past begins with God's work, God calling or electing a people in eternity past. So that's where the order starts. That's what we read in Romans 8 earlier. Those who he predestined, he called. And so the next one is calling, effectual calling particularly. Um, now, this effectual calling occurs through, first, the outward call of the gospel, preaching of the word, the gospel being proclaimed. And through that, that external call, then the Spirit uses that in those whom he pleases, those who are elect, to regenerate them. So that's why we often talk about um, effectual calling really being almost synonymous with regeneration. Because we're called effectually and being, we're, we're regenerated, given new mind, will, and hearts. And that effectual calling, as we saw in question 30, now that we are regenerated, we embrace Christ. And that's just code word for faith. We trust Christ. And we saw in question 30, it, it unpacks that a little bit. And we'll see more and more what faith looks like as we go throughout. Um, but we have faith. So after election, we're effectually called. And then that produces faith. Regeneration. Here, here's the key. Regeneration precedes faith. Logically. Regeneration precedes faith. So if we reverse this order, we put faith over here. Well, then we say, logically, I have faith, therefore I am called. And that undermines God's grace of the gospel. That's saying, I'm doing something that then earns my favor with God, and now God regenerates me. So we, we, this order is so important. And we can talk about mixing any of these up in any direction and why any mix-up undermines the gospel of grace. And this often we call conversion. Once that, that first movement of the, of the soul towards God, we often call that conversion. So while regeneration is God's movement and working upon us, 
Conversion is our response to that. So often when we speak of conversion, it's, it's when did I look to Christ? And that's fine. That's this faith aspect. When am I exercising faith and looking to Christ? That's conversion. Uh, whereas regeneration comes before that, though. And then we see, this was from question 30, faith, in faith, we are united to Christ. And that's where the historia salutis, all that Christ did now is mine. When Christ's death and resurrection is mine. Christ's perfect life is mine. Christ's glorification is mine. And so, uh, it, but it's, it comes here after faith. It's not we're united to Christ and then given faith, but in faith, faith is the means of receiving all of the benefits of salvation, union with Christ, as we spoke of last time. And we're going to talk about union with Christ. And basically the next several weeks are going to be going through various aspects of this. Um, justification, adoption, sanctification, those, uh, those topics. And those would roughly fall under the, the rubric, um, the, the header of union with Christ. So these are four important aspects of the ordo. Election, effectual calling or regeneration, faith, and union with Christ. This order is essential or else we miss God's work for us. It becomes what we're now doing to earn salvation. Okay, that's a lot. I'm just <coughs> rambling for a few moments. Yes. There would be a situation for the person that you would call it the completion from beginning to end. And if so, where would it stop? Yeah, no, good question. That's where we go back to Romans 8. It says those who he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. That category, the all category of predestined will be called. All those who are called will be justified. All those who are, chosen, are justified will be glorified. And he actually speaks of them all in the past tense there, showing that, they're, that that group is self-contained. It's the same group that makes it all the way down. So here, if, you're, if you are elect all of these things will happen. And, that, and I say, so this isn't a temporal um, progression. It's not like, okay, today I realize I'm elect. Okay, cool. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to be regenerated. Okay. The next day I'm going to have faith. No, it, again, this is happening instantly. And, and God's using uh, all kinds of different things throughout time in our life before you know, to, to work out that effectual calling. It's not sometimes a lightning bolt. Sometimes it takes time. And we don't know exactly that point in which I exercise faith for the first time. I don't know. Uh, covenant children, this is often true uh, of me. Uh, I don't know that point where I exercise faith. I know God was at work through my whole life, and I never knew a time I didn't know the Lord. Um, but get, step back to answer that question. Um, there is no dropping out on this chain. This is the golden chain that will uh, persist. The beginning, all those who God elects will be glorified. You will make it all the way down uh, this chain. And this chain is, again, Say, I'll say it one more time. It's a logical chain. Um, it's, it's to help us understand the grace of the gospel. Um, this is not a process that we put people through. What else? My clock says one minute. Yeah, Joyce. Do you have, do you have thoughts for why in the catechism, effectual calling is the work of God's spirit. The others are all the work of God's grace because is it more... Specific to the general? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, as you go through uh, justification, it's a, it's a um, justification is an act of God's free grace. Sanctification is a work of God's free grace. Um, whereas here we say it's a work of God's spirit, right? Um, it's fascinating. I haven't thought of that. But what I'll say is this. Um, the effectual calling is re regeneration. This is 
a work directly upon us by the Holy Spirit through the word. Um, And so it is the spirit who does that. When we go to justification, sanctification, this is a work not just in us, but this is also um, what Christ has done. And so my, my initial stab at this is that justification stands for something larger than something happening in me. Whereas effectual calling is pretty me focused here where the spirit is at work in me. So we can, we can talk about the spirit, spirit, the scripture speaks of the spirit doing this, but when we go to justification, um, I don't want to say it's just the spirit doing anything because the spirit is applying Christ to us. So that's why that would be my initial stab. Do you have, do you have thoughts? You want to? Yeah. <laughs> well, you have much wisdom that I need. So, right. Right. It does. It does. Well, as we get there, I'll, I'll pay special attention to that next week as we look, look to justification. Um, that's, a, that's a great question. Anything else? Yeah. This can take us our whole life. Um, this can take, kind of, yes. So it's not like we have faith and we're done. Right, We're, we grow in our faith, but I will say, uh, as as we'll see next time with justification, justification is an event that happens in our life, and so we are justified. So there is a sense in which effectual calling and faith happen one point in time. Um, we grow in the renewing of our mind more and more. So that's sanctification. We're we're becoming more like Christ. We're understanding God's work for us. But this seed of this in which we are justified is a one-time thing. We grow in sanctification. We grow up in this through our whole lives. But I want to say our union with Christ is not something we have more or less of over time. Our union with Christ is something we have definitively and absolutely the moment that seed of faith is given to us and we can exercise the tiniest mustard seed of faith. Is that, is that confusing? That's right. That's right. That's right. And so I think you're right. So this effectual calling, this, this inward regeneration is a punctiliar event. It happens at one point in time, but there's a lot that the God, that God is doing to prepare us for that. And so you're right. It can take a lifetime of the Lord preparing people to finally be regenerated and to trust in Christ. So yes, that can take a long time. We don't know how the spirit works. And that's that's Jesus in John 3. The spirit blows, the spirit slash wind, it's the same word, blows wherever it pleases. We don't know. We just see its effects. And so to your point, yes, the spirit can be at work before we exercise faith. He is at work before we exercise faith. And uh, sometimes it takes a long time for some people to come to faith. Sometimes it doesn't. And that's, we don't know why the spirit works in that way. So yeah, there's, there's some, some, there's a lot of nuance there, and that's a good question. Well, let me pray, and we'll go to worship. Lord, we thank you for your free grace, and we're thankful for how you work by your Spirit to give us new hearts. And we pray that you would continue to be at work in us this morning, even as we come to worship you, as we seek to glorify you. Thank you for this wonderful morning, this wonderful day, that we can praise your holy name. Prepare us for this now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.